Welcome to Inside Independent Publishing with IBPA. I'm your host, Christy Falak. I'm also the IBPA Director of Membership and Member Services. Okay, so no matter where you are in your publishing journey, whether you're just starting out or you've been doing it for decades, you're always hoping to level up your business. Joining us on the podcast today is Fruition Publishing Concierge Services founder and CEO, Alicia Brown, to share advice about the best AI publishing technology and the ones to avoid, paying author royalties, whether it's worth hiring someone to do your social media, all kinds of stuff like that. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you. Thank you so much, Christopher, for having me and also IBPA for this time. This is going to be amazing. Yeah. And you're also on the board of directors. So thank you so much for all the work you do there. Absolutely. Love serving our membership. Thank you. And, and we love that you you volunteer your time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, I I do want to jump into topics about like advice and such, but I'd love to set people up to understand where you are now. Um, okay, so you run Fruition Publishing Concierge Services. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's a hybrid publisher, correct? Yes. Correct. Okay, so some people might not understand what that is. Can you just kind of tell us like wh- what you do and what makes you a hybrid publisher? Yes. Um, first of all, I would say definitely go and review IBPA's hybrid publishing criteria. Um, cause one of the things that hybrid publishers fight in this industry is having us mistaken with vanity publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, you will hear all the time, you should not have to pay anyone for your services, which is what a part, a big part of how hybrid publishing business model works. Um, But the truth is you're always paying for your services, even if you do them yourself um, and have certain expertise because your time is valuable. There are going to be different resources you need to publish and fulfill the different parts of the publishing uh, journey, and they're not all free. (laughs) So you're going to hire some expert, um, you're going to use systems, um, different expertise. So you're always going to pay for your service one way or another. But as hybrid publishers, and there are different models, there are different things that you can make unique to your company. But in general, those are people that help you publish your book. They offer the full publishing services, but you also share in this collaborative effort by paying a portion of those fees. Um, you do not receive an advance, um, and it's not where they're just having all the costs. They're taking care of all that for you, and they're depending on book sale projections to make their revenue. Um, one of the cool things I love about hybrid publishing is industry-wise, you get the higher amount of royalties mm-hmm. when you can go to traditional publishing. And I also feel like you have more of a creative say-so um, in this particular publishing model. So that's more of a condensed, short definition of a hybrid publisher. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I have some questions later on about hybrid publishing and uh, I know there is some confusion in terms of service providers versus an actual hybrid publisher. Um, and so we'll we'll talk about that. So thank you so much for that kind of overview. Um, how long has Fruition Publishing uh, been in business? That's a good question. Or, yeah, because Fruition Publishing is a division of Alicia mm-hmm. Brown LLC. Mm-hmm. Um, so making it short as I can, but sweet. I started off as a self-published author thinking I knew all the things and hired all the people because they were experts in this and experts in this um, and was able to have success with my book and doors open and opportunities. But the more I studied, they really were not the experts. Um, So yeah, that wasn't cool. So 
promoting my book as a self-published author, opportunities came, but I found a lot of authors were asking me, how do you do this? So we started Alicia Brown LLC. We started off offering some publishing consultations. And I really was heartbroken to see that we did all this work, editing and advice and consulting and released you to go out and either self-publish or you would find another publisher. And I found a lot of those clients were not getting reputable people. Mm. So I hey, we have the knowledge. We just have not opened our company to full publishing services. So we created Fruition Publishing, which started in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, so the company itself has been in existence, Alicia Brown LLC, since 2015. Fruition mm -hmm. Publishing was launched in 2019 to offer full um, publishing hybrid services. And that's so interesting because I think that I've talked to multiple people who are indie publishers or author pub or who are um, hybrid publishers, and they actually, mm -hmm. a lot of them did start out with being an author publisher. And because yeah. they learned how it works, they were like, well, like you said, they start getting a, other people they know starting out just saying, how do you do this thing? And at some point right. you're like, you're like, I should be getting paid to like, I'm, I'm yeah. telling people a lot of good stuff here. So and and like you said, also you're you know you you're you can trust that you're doing a good job for them, and there are some predatory companies out there and or people that just yes. don't know what they're doing. So uh, I love that. Then that's that was your your journey to get there. Um, uh, so uh, do you all publish a certain type of book in terms of like do you have like uh, like you know a genre that you specifically focus on, and then do you publish a certain amount a year? Yes. Well, not specifically so much a certain number per year. Um, I can tell you that we are not the publisher that wants like to publish the most books every year. And, you know, as many clients as we can get in, that's what we want. We are not. We want to have that intimate feel with our clients instead of feeling more like they're factory workers, not to mention the stress that comes past a certain number. Um, so for us, our genres, especially our self-help, uh, Christian and children's books. We are not big when it comes to sci-fi, um, romance, um, and different genres that are related to that. Um, and that's one of the things when you, we're talking on the topic of leveling up your publishing business, you're not for everyone and you have to know where your expertise lies. Mm. So you're not the publisher of all things. Um, and that's one of the mistakes I find for a lot of indie publishers who are new, especially if you don't have expertise um, and a lot of experience in this industry when you come into it. You know, it's like everything. We publish mm. everything. No, no, you don't. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> every book, every genre is completely different. And you cannot, you should not publish every type of genre. I, I just I I wouldn't trust that at all. Yeah, pick your pick something that you know really well, and like because you started out uh, as an author publisher, you that whatever you were writing, you probably that's some one of those three things that you mentioned yes. is probably <laughs> that. So yeah, absolutely. My yeah. book um, when I started off, or my books, I should say, they were self help um, coming from mm -hmm. um, the experience of a child abuse survivor. Mm -hmm. So of course that became like the top 
thing we published. And then what started happening, a lot of our clients have been through abuse and different situations like that trauma, um, but they are also doing other genres. So they may I have one person who's a domestic violence abuse survivor, and her whole thing is about the children's book series that she was envisioning while she was escaping that relationship, that marriage, and the life she wanted for her boys um, once they would escape that. Um, so that's how, you know, we got more into the children book genre. But yeah, it, it, it started with what was my um, sphere of expertise and what was my passion when I self-published my first books, because those were a lot of the people I was interacting with while I was marketing my books and they want help to publish theirs on similar topics. Well, thank you for giving a voice to such an important topic. Um, you know, I'm sure it's been helpful for them to get that story out and then also other people that are survivors to hear those stories. So um, I commend you on that. Um, so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you want to? No, I said thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, when you started out, like, you know, what were some of those biggest challenges now that you decided I'm going to make this into a business um, that you were just like, oh my God, like this, can I get through this? Yes. So one of the biggest challenges that's very common for um, indie authors um, is I was working a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we never, one of my business coaches always says this. I'm not, she's like, I'm not concerned as much if you lose money because you can make more money. You can pivot, you can adjust. She's like, I'm more concerned when you lose time because you can't get time back. And that was such, when she first said that, that was just like one of those epiphanies. It was one of those aha moments because it took me back to how I started. You're committed to work your job. Um, you're starting this business, but I still need my full-time employer. Mm -hmm. So then it's like your time, you know, a novice would envision, oh, if I could just do this myself 24 hours a day, if this was my main thing, I would have all this time to work on it. But instead, you know, I have work, I have family, I have these other commitments when actually that can really work to your advantage because your time is limited. All of our times are limited, but you're in more of a pressure cooker because you have a commitment to your job eight, 10, nine hours a day, you have a commitment to your family, and then you have this block of time. Well, realistically, in any business, even if you're 100% self-employed, you would work more efficiently if you worked in time blocks, because none of us have unlimited time. So I had to have that balance of, you know, you're committed here. When do you really have time for the business? Hmm. And the whole, you know, you get all the business advice. Oh, you know, you can sleep when you die. Um, and I'm like, well, no, because I learned the hard way. You're just going to die early. Um, burn <laughs> the candles at both ends hmm. and not the best thing to do. Really being able to be strategic, have those time blocks, knows what, knowing what needs to be done and how to fit that into a schedule. And then knowing what help you need. That's another challenge. Because especially if this is not your industry and you're coming from a publishing house before you start yours, how to vet the right people? Who do I really need? What do I need to delegate? What do I do myself? And you have to figure that out, not just for your publishing clients and these books, but you need to figure that out for your business as a whole. Mm 
in addition to what is your business model? Um, what are your offerings? What's really going to generate revenue? All of those things that while you're working for someone else, someone else makes those decisions. Mm-hmm. And you thought the challenge was the job you did. Mm-hmm. Well, now if you're CEO, whether you're doing them all or not, you have to be aware of them all and manage them. So that's a whole nother space to be in. And that's one of the reasons entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Yeah. Because you don't know all the time what you don't know. And when you start getting your feet wet, some decisions have to be made. <laughs> well, you know, I wonder, it must have been so... I have a, you know, I love this job. This is my day job, but I'm also an author publisher. And right. you know, th- there is this challenge of um, when people do have the, the company, their, their business, and they, they're like, well, I want this to be my full-time job. Mm-hmm. How did you make that decision? Because like you said, you know, yeah, you, you can get more money at some point, but you literally have a certain amount of bills you have to pay every month. How did you make that choice to go from, I'm going to focus hundred percent of my time to this business, but you must have then had a certain amount of money coming in that you knew you could. So what what was that like? I started out, I I said, as a a self-published author, Mm -hmm. I was working a full-time business. And then, you know, as I went along, opportunities presented themselves and the way the traction was going, I was making decent money. But then we get to a point where you're trying to juggle both you're going to have to make a decision. And I got to that crossroads and I said, okay, these are the opportunities that have happened in less than a year of you officially launching. And now we need to make a decision. You're either going to go your way and take the risk, or you're going to continue to work here. And I will say at that time, the career position I had, it was perfect. I have full flexibility. I have the company car. You know, nobody's bothering me with anything. So if I want to take an extended lunch so I can go to this networking thing, if I want to use my own leave and extend my day, it's fine. But I will tell you what my gut said and what became glaring is I was watching as my boss, I was there before him and he would leave and I'm still here. And then when I saw some of the staff, we we um, had a particular location where we had 12-hour employees. When I came in and you were here, but you're leaving and I'm still here, we have a problem. Because I'm also waking up earlier to do a few business things, come into work, and I'm networking and doing different things on my time, then coming back to work, then I'm going home and probably touching something again before I can go to bed. And I just said, you can't continue to do this. So you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to keep this job or you're going to take a risk and go out on your business. And at that time, unlike no other, because I was raised very conservatively, only crazy people would be self-employed. That's a risk. And, you know, what about retirement? Blah, 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 blah. And in my spirit, despite all those things I was raised to believe and had agreed to, I said to say no to the business and take the risk, saying no to me. And at that time, more than ever, it was like, I can't do that. I can't give up on my dreams. I can't say no to me to say yes to someone else. Mm -hmm. So it just became clear and looking at the um, finances, looking at the financial um, trajectory, this, this, that, it just became clear you need to go and you need to go now. Hmm. Yeah, well, at IBPA, I'm I'm trying to get my hours each day down to two hours, but I will work really hard 
I will every minute of those two hours. <laughs> I'll let you know how that goes. And I will say this: um, one of my millionaire business coaches, her business started and she did phenomenally well when she had two children mm. and was a stay-at-home mom mm. and homeschooled her kids because mm. she knew she only had when they're sleeping and napping and whatever, maybe a couple hours a day to do her business. Mm. And she became a millionaire in a very short amount of time. So I want the audience to understand it's not always either or. You can be highly successful in your business and keep that job and also have your main employer and keep that job. There's no one answer. Mm -hmm. um, there are people that aspire to do this 24-7 and you can do that. But there's no there's no problem in if I still really love my career and I want to keep that full-time job, but over here, I also want to build my business and keep that as well. I just well, knew it wasn't for me. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't have any kids, but if I could become a millionaire by just having children, I'm I, that, that's it. I'm doing that. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> you go ahead and take that one. Not okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, I want to talk about, you know, it's when independent publishers start out, you know, a lot of times it's just you and it's overwhelming because yeah. you're doing everything. Right. So yes. I want to talk about growing your team, like your employees. Um, you have a limited budget. So I'm, mm -hmm. you know, you can hire freelancers and, and, but then you have someone you can decide, okay, they're going to be actually an employee. So Right. I want to see, like, what do you think is the best position to hire first? So you could have an in-house cover designer or book designer. You could have an admin assistant. You could have someone in charge of marketing. Like, what? who's that first hire? I'm going to answer that question with what my first millionaire business coach said. Um, she was famous, and she'll tell you today, is that your job is to do what makes, to only do what makes the cash register ring. Mm -hmm. Everything else needs to be delegated to someone else. And she would always emphasize that what sucks the most time out of your business is administrative work, but it generates the least amount of revenue. Hmm. So when you're a solo entrepreneur and you're trying to do all the things until you can get the money to hire all the people, administration will take everything, but it's not going to generate that much money. So I always recommend the first person you hire even if it's only a couple hours a week to start with, is an administrative person that can look like a virtual assistant. You don't have to have an office and have the personal staff and do all this stuff. Um, virtual assistants, there's a lot of them that have high expertise, highly skilled, and you don't have to worry about paying a certain salary. You can pay them hourly if you'd like, or there's other arrangements you can have. Um, that, to me, is the first person you should hire. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. That's, uh, um, thanks for, uh, I never know if someone's going to have a specific answer, but you're like, this is what you do. So that's, yeah. that's great. Thank you. Um, drive yeah. You. yeah. Um, okay. So we have talked about the idea of like social media and, and, um, like you and I talked about that and then when you should or should not hire a, someone to do your social media. So is that a good idea or is that something that the publisher should do on their own? Like what, well, tell me a little bit about that idea. Okay, so disclaimer here, <laughs> I use social media. Um, I'm on most major platforms because at the time I started business, that's what they advise. Gotta be on everything. Use it all the time, and I did. Um, 
I'm not going to say I have a love-hate relationship with social media. What I am going to say is I don't always love the way people use it. Um, you're expecting your posts. Everybody wants to go viral. But honestly, if you follow trends, you can go viral just for getting up there and dancing. But that doesn't mean I'm generating business. And if I'm a business, that's my whole goal. It's not to get all these likes. Um, it's not to just look flawless on social media. I'm up there for business. So if you want to use social media, if you have a clear strategy on how to create business, that's wonderful. But I am going to say that if you're hiring a specialist or a staff to take care of your social media, it is very expensive if someone knows what they're doing. Very cheaply can you get someone to just create some posts. You can do it yourself. Um, very free, you know, free software, free things that make you look like a professional if you know how to use them. The point is, if you're going to hire someone else to do that, it's going to cost you a lot of money if they know what they're doing. And you're not going to make a return on that investment overnight. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're newer and you have a limited budget, that is not the best investment of your time because with social media, you must remember every platform free or paid, that creator has all the information for anyone coming and using it. They have email addresses. They have names. They have normally where they live. They have phone numbers. They have all the information you want. What have you created and what do you have when you use their platform? If it shuts down tomorrow, can you still communicate with these people? Or are you waiting for when it comes back up to create a message and have possibly the opportunity to communicate? If you don't have that plan for how you take whatever conversation you create online and take it offline, social media is not your concern right now. Investing in a proper social media team, person, strategist is not your concern right now. Your concern is how to grow your business and be financially sound. Um, so that's my advice on that. Other people yeah. will say something a little different. Yeah. I mean, all I do is post videos of me dancing on TikTok. Nobody even watches those. So I, I got nothing. <laughs> Put on a bikini or something and then the numbers. Oh, oh, then then, I'll, then yeah. I'll go viral. Okay. You're still not going to buy anything, but the, the numbers will go up. You have a better <laughs> okay. chance of going viral. Yeah, actually, the, the books I've sold, people will return them. They'll be like, I, I don't even want to read this guy's book. Well, there you go. Well, get a dog or cat in the video. That'll okay. okay, that'll do. <laughs> uh, okay, so I want to ask about the markets that your books, you know, um, I imagine with your authors, you've had certain success with certain markets. And of course, you know, this is going to be based on the genres that you publish. But anyway, yeah. I'm just interested, where have you had success? Bookstores, direct to consumers, libraries, uh, with the, the books you've been publishing? Direct to consumer. Um, the clientele we work with, um, a lot of times they are nonprofit executives, they're business executives, um, highly skilled experts. Um, so they like that direct to market feel, especially as speakers, leading conferences, keynote things. Um, we just find direct to market works a lot better. Okay, so then the and those specific direct to consumer are speaking engagements then. Mm -hmm. conferences, um, larger organizations where their expertise um, is demonstrated. Yes. And then uh, how does that work? You're the publisher, they're the author. Uh, who's landing those gigs? It can go both ways. 
But of course, I'll say just like with traditional publishing, there's a reason they pick certain people. Because, you know, I always try to emphasize to clients and potential clients and different audiences in the industry, there is no one and done. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times certain clients and novice authors, they just don't know. But you're thinking that if I pay enough or I get the right company, they do everything for me. No, you're the author. So no matter how awesome your publisher is, the audience relates to you. So you have to be actively involved in a lot of the process and know how to do that, which is one of the things we're always coaching and um, teaching our clients about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so conversely, I'm interested, were there markets at at some point you tried to get into and you didn't have luck and then you were like, okay, I I don't think this is good for us. Um, And then you just, you just don't even try that anymore. Um, I would say in the beginning, um, and I'll go back to my self-published um, author journey, you know, most of the world buys the books on Amazon. So mm-hmm. you're thinking, oh, yeah, if we just invest more in Amazon ads, or if we just focus so much on being on Amazon, that's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And now I see a lot of people that lose a lot of money and don't have a return on investment in Amazon ads because typically you don't know what you're doing um, and you don't necessarily have the budget to hire the expert for Amazon ads. Um, Same thing I see people doing with Facebook. Um, And if the audience is there, maybe that's a good thing. I never found where Facebook, as far as ads for the book in particular, was that highly successful. Um, so that that wasn't my jam either. Although in the beginning, not knowing, and that was the advice at the time, and you're watching this person that says, yeah, I got, you know, $600,000 in book revenue because of Facebook ads or Amazon ads. And then, you know, as you continue to study and you learn more and you're no longer the novice, when you start really digging deep and asking them questions, Oh, yeah, you did get $600,000 in revenue, but you spent in just ad budget alone Mm, mm $300,000, $400,000, $500,000. Doesn't sound like such a win, you know, then versus in the beginning, you just didn't know what questions to ask or, you know, how everything worked. Okay. Yeah, I've definitely spent about $400,000 on selling my books. So, but I'm a millionaire, so I can do that. There Um, you go. Well, I just come to you and let you, you know, give me the budget for our one of our okay. next books. Great, then, I'm okay. here. In fact, I'll just give you my checkbook, whatever. Just write. Yeah, right let me here. manage it. I'll leave <laughs> you with a little something. Um, okay, so the more books you publish, the more authors then you're paying royalties to. So I wanted to ask um, how complicated it was at some point for you to keep track of the royalties, and then how you've, you know, what maybe um, system you use that then kind of got that under control. In the beginning, God forbid, um, it was a sales spreadsheet, which is manageable when you don't have but a few people, mm-hmm. you know, you're only publishing the first couple books, kind of manageable. I'll be honest, for me, I have not found a system that I think is just amazing. Mm-hmm. I have found the system, of course, as you're leveling up, you understand systems and the importance of automation. So I have found a few systems that do a few things, but I just haven't found that touch that I love. So we still do it in-house. We've moved away from the spreadsheet, but we have like a sort of our own system thing um, that has been, you know, developed just for us to use to manage them better. Okay. Very cool. Um, what In terms of printing then, do you all do print on demand? 
do you do offset printing or like uh, maybe it's a combination of the two? We do primarily print on demand, but I also, and this is important, um, have some in the U.S., but have some printers that would be able to do it Mm -hmm. Um, because sometimes it's just an issue of timing. Things happen at the last minute. And I'm very much not that I'm one of the green people, but I I don't want to do so much offset printing. Um, The quality is often better, but I think if you've never understood it before, the pandemic really emphasized some of the logistical issues when it comes to offshore printing. And, you know, you just order, let's say 10,000 somethings and you know it's an error you're stuck with 10,000 somethings mm-hmm. or let's say um, the quality isn't what was promised. Good luck financially having to return those and are they going to ship them back? Blah, 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 blah. And I'll also say all the other expenses, warehouse, um, is it the proper temperature to store these things? You know, I know a lot of authors that say they use offshore printing and everything's in their basement, but it's your basement equipped. Mm-hmm. For that, do you have insurance coverage for that? Um, and you know, if you're gonna go, some people go very extravagant and they get the shelving and things made. Okay, that's fine. If you're gonna say the expense of offshore uh, printing and the quality were good enough that it makes sense for me to put this investment into my home to build things, make sure we had the right temperature to store all this. As long as you have a plan, a strategy in place, perfect. It's not one that I wanted to model. So I found um, that. Print on demand printing, but also having relationships with printers, whether they're local, whether they're in another state that also provide those services, were the best combination of um, for us for how we publish and print books. And then when uh, your authors are doing those in-person events, mm-hmm. I imagine you'll figure out how many books you think you might sell, and then you you just right. have that many printed out for that event. Exactly, okay. because a lot of times, um, of course, you're at the in-person event, you have a table, you know, you're going to kill them dead. And then they're all going to want to come to your table, buy a book. But also it's something in part of their contracts that we stress that you also have where maybe sometimes the organizer pitch them to just go ahead as part of your fee, also buy a certain number of books. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. then it may be something where everyone that attended, part of your attendance is a free book. Right. Yeah, I know that. I love that stuff. That's yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We we just did a bulk sale and guess what? You know, you don't have to worry about selling them out or whatever because everybody gets a free copy, great photo op, everybody holding your book. Um, but then there are times where, you know, you just have the table, maybe the sponsor or the organization, their budget wasn't that big or whatever. They just said no. So you have your fees, you have the other things and you have your table. So yeah, there's that optimum part right there. What's the number you're going to order and have them there in time. And also I strongly encourage that you also use QR codes. And then you also have other events near that time for promotion and things like that. So if there are some overages where you didn't sell them all, you have other events lined up soon after that, you still have opportunities to continue the momentum and sell them as well. Okay. And uh, I wanted to, we talked earlier about things when you first were starting out, there were big challenges. So now that you've been doing it for many years, I imagine there are different things that are challenges. So like right now, like what's something that you're kind of facing that you're maybe haven't solved yet um, that is is proven to be difficult for you? <clears throat> mm. 
is what is is two main things that are very much related. The perception a lot of times we're vetting books that come in and, and really getting hands-on with the person to find out what their vision is. I still find there's too many authors that really don't understand how to properly position their book and what their book is supposed to do for them versus what their expectations are. Um, so I think one of the biggest challenge is just making authors, especially the new ones, understand being a published author is a business. This is not about having a cute book. Um, it's not about having the most perfect book. Of course, you want quality and industry standards to be followed. And if you are with any uh, reputable publisher, that should be the norm. However, it's a business. So where you're speaking, what, how you're properly positioning your book, what is your strategy with this book? Because to me, the book is the low-hanging low fruit. It's much bigger than just a book. So establishing that author brand, identity, platform, your marketing plans, and all of that, it is a business. And if you don't treat it like a business, then a lot of the things you think a book is supposed to do for you, it's not. Because you didn't honor it in doing what you were supposed to do in nurturing that book and that platform to have and achieve those results. And sometimes that has been really hard for people to understand. Um, they're just passionate about their book. I can relate being an author. They're passionate about the book and they envision all these great people they're going to make a difference in the life of. But beyond that, they're, you know, a lot of times they're just, well, I thought the publisher does all that. You know, I just want to keep coming up with these fabulous ideas and give them to you and you create a beautiful book. And then, you know, we put it out there. It's going to sell like hotcakes. Mm -hmm. No, even the celebrities can't guarantee that. Mm -hmm. You can look at some of these traditional publishers books with these celebrities. They're not even knocking it out of the park. And we expect them to be able to with their large following. So if that's the case for them, then imagine what that is to your everyday regular person, especially if you have no strategy or plan in place and you're thinking just because it's a cute book or flashy topic or whatever, and you saw someone over there, you know, have wild success that if you just put that same type of book out, you will too. Well, and not everyone is very famous having done dance videos and TikTok and bikinis. Exactly. That's so not everyone's done that. That's not your strategy. It's not going to work. <laughs> Yeah. And then the other part of that is that I know you can relate to because mm -hmm. IBPA has been talking about it a lot just in the past year, bookmans. We deal with a lot of BIPOC um, authors. So a lot of the things that are changing politically, I have to stress to them, you're not immune to that. And you would be better being proactive and planning accordingly. It just really goes to the importance of building your audience, knowing your audience, even before you publish the book. And I will always advise them before you write the book, because you're supposed to be writing the book that your audience needs, not just your cute idea, not just what you think is wonderful. You're not writing for you. You're writing the book that you're claiming this audience that you know needs, which means you're writing in their language. You know what books they want to buy. You know where they want to buy them. So all of that really needs to be in place before you even start putting pen to paper to write the book, which in part, as you're going through the journey, you also should have the strategy in place and all of the things when often when authors are looking for a publisher, often it's the exact opposite. 
Mm. Well, in terms of the book bans, how do you prep them like for dealing with something that, you know, let's say their book gets banned in some state, like what, what, what is your advice to people to prep for that? Well, it's a reality for us right here um, where I'm headquartered in the state of Virginia, mm -hmm. because we had two books, um, not our company, but there were two books that there was a lot of legislation and fighting going back and forth. And what I tell people is, you know, a lot of times these book bans, the state is not necessarily saying you cannot sell in the state. They were trying to do that here. They were trying to go as far as not just we don't want it in the bookstore, Um we don't want it in the school system. They are trying to attack it where even your publisher couldn't sell it, period. Thank God Virginia knocked that down. Um, but I try to tell them, here's here's the challenge, but here's the opportunity. You cannot control, to a certain extent, you can if you lobby, but that's more than long game. You can't control how things change politically. But you can pivot and adapt, which all businesses have to do. And if you're a published author, you're in a business. However, if they're going to ban your book, then think about what your community still needs. And there's opportunity, whether it's your speaking, whether you um, create other things like a course, maybe you have playing cards. We do all of that and can develop those for you. Maybe it's playing cards. Maybe it's more of the interactive portion of your book. Maybe you need to create something interactive. Maybe you need to create a video series. They can stop you somewhat if they change the laws and say you just cannot produce this book you just cannot have it in the library you just cannot have it here and you'll have to do whatever the long game is if you want to fight it politically lobby what have you but they can't stop you in other ways of still being creative and getting your message out which is what you should be focused on as an author anyway so i tell them brace up for that start getting that community that really cares about this topic which you're supposed to do anyway but that community that would be outraged if they banned those type books get them now know how to pivot now in case that's a real thing where they banned this particular book thank you yeah well i agree it's unfortunately a you know a topic that doesn't seem to want to go away because there's people out there that you know, want to control people's uh, opinions about certain topics. So um, thanks for being on the forefront of that. Um, so, okay, I before we finish, I do want to make sure to go back to the hybrid publisher concept. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, there are some, you know, companies out there, they're not legitimate hybrid publishers. They're uh, you know, like sometimes they're just service providers, right? Which right. is fine. Um, but they think that they're actually public, you know, uh, publishers. Um, so, um, what are some things that, you know, people that are out there that are authors can look out for, um, so that they are making sure they understand this is a legitimate hybrid publisher versus a service provider versus someone who's maybe, you know, predatory. <sighs> Let's do a whole episode now, starting now. Yes, <laughs> it's like a knife in my heart and just twist that thing because I just saw the most ridiculous thing I've ever, you know, after you've been in for a while, you think, oh, yeah, I know why you're outraged if you never heard that before, but that's common. I just heard someone and the, the person in the group was trying to defend it. They were the one they hadn't signed the paperwork. But this publishing company, actually part of their contract was asking for a loan for like the first few years. And then they had something where they would pay it back. And I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, no business model in publishing is that. No one. No publisher asks you, you know, if you're hybrid, 
There is a fee there. Um, traditional uh, publishing doesn't charge you a fee, but nobody's asking a client to loan them money mm. and for a specified amount of years and we'll pay you back this amount of year. What? So that, again, is for the author, the prospective author. You have to study the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to you pitch them something and or a lot of times now they're pitching you like, hey, I saw this and, you know, your book is great. We want to put it in a film. We want to do this. Great. Start asking them some probing questions. Because a true publisher, traditional hybrid doesn't matter. They don't publish everything Mm -hmm. and they don't take every submission. So it's nothing for you to ask them, what is your submission criteria? Mm -hmm. For starters, you should sort of see that explained somewhere on the website. If you don't see it, then you need to ask them, what is your submission criteria? What books do you just not publish? Um, what books have you found the most successful? What is your process following as far as this, this, this? And then I always tell people, you want to look at who's doing it best. So if you don't know what hybrid publishing companies, for example, are legitimate or illegitimate, look at the big five traditional publishers. What type of books do you see them publishing? What do their book covers look like? You know, if you're reading these books that are very viral, whether they're hybrid publishers or they're traditional publishers, as you're reading that genre, what are they, what are the books like? What do they all have in common? So when you're testing this particular company, you can start with the ebook if it's cheaper. But before you invest money in them, look at some of the stuff they're publishing. Not just what's being said, because some people are very good with marketing and they know how to put those fake reviews up. They have buddies or something that do a video, talk about they're the great thing. They did all of this for me and they can be lying. But when you go to look at the book, what's the quality? Mm-hmm. What does it look like? Um, just some of those questions, some of those industry things you observe, start probing and asking questions instead of just putting complete trust or I really like that person. They seem credible. You're investing on your vision and your business. And you want to return on investment, however you define that. So you can't be so quick to jump at something that sounds good without investing something to test what they truly have. And again, got to study the industry because a lot of times what has happened to us, we saw a shift in the second half of our business. We started getting people that came to us. They had a lot of legal issues. They had been taken advantage of by these vanity publishers. Mm. And at one time, it was like I was getting all the same people from this company and this company and this company. I look at the books. Well, I go on Amazon and just look at your book, the book cover alone. Mm. It's horrible. I could have gotten it. it basically, it was somebody just got a stock photo image and mm. it didn't even look like a paid one and put it on a cover. The font is barely readable. Mm. Um you look at the interior, The this is the edited version. Did you edit it at all? It's not mm-hmm. even about the professionalism. Has it been edited at all? It doesn't flow. This is chock full of errors. Well, if I bought that ebook just to see if this publisher is legitimate, I saw that, I wouldn't go with your publishing company, even if you were offering me money. Um, so we have to do a little due diligence before we're just ready to give over our intellectual property. Because as an author, your book is your intellectual property. 
you can't release that to anyone. For all you know, they could have a whole submission process just to get your book and then publish it on their own and give you no credit. I've seen that happen. <laughs> people. Or I've seen them, they published this style of book two years ago, and they just switched the words, changed a little artwork and pitched you that idea. And now that's the book they're publishing for you at a fee. Oh, geez. Um, Yeah, I I always feel bad. We have members sometimes, you know, reach out to us and they've been taken advantage of. And I always feel terrible for them. So I 100% agree that, you know, before you're going to start spending money, just do research on the web, make sure that these are legitimate companies that have good reviews and look for, you know, any controversy or lawsuits that have been taken out against yeah. the company. Um, and if you see any of that, steer clear, you know, there's yeah. a reason someone sued them for whatever. So, um, yeah, well, thanks for, you know, uh, you know, helping people understand that. Um, so I want to make sure, oh, and you, by the way, you mentioned the hybrid, hybrid publisher criteria. So, um, for the YouTube version of this, I'll, we'll put it on the screen, but uh, for everyone else, if you just go to the IBPA homepage, uh, there's a tab called resources and you'll see it uh, listed under there. Um, so I want to make sure people go to your website. Um, so it's fruition publishing concierge services. His name is your business and uh, you're at fruitionpublishing.com and, uh, your, um, uh, you, you provide multiple, uh, services. Um, and, uh, you know, th- make sure to go to the site. Um, anything you wanted to say about some of the services you'll have or anything like that? <clears throat> um, we, of course, are a full publishing house hybrid. Um, so that is the main thing that we, you know, as long as you meet our criteria, those are the people we primarily want to work with. But we also understand the part about needing consulting. Um, we applaud those who feel like they want to self-publish themselves, but we do provide those services as well um, because nothing For me, it's like nails on a chalkboard to see your book full of editing errors Mm. or see you ask questions in some of these writers group about formatting. Mm. No, dear, we don't format on Canva. Mm. We don't format using Word. There is a professional formatting. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, again, sometimes you just I want to self-publish. I know this is right for me. And we do have a quiz on our website if you want to know which um, type of publishing is best for you, hybrid, traditional, or self-publishing. And we're willing to help you with some of those services. If you need professional editing and you want to take care of the rest yourself, that's fine. If you need book cover design, we can help you with that. We also help other publishers um, with that as well. Sometimes their workload is too much. We'll put our team together to work on just those portions you want us to work on. And you can go ahead and fully publish that client or your clients. Um, We also offer, because now we have an indie film production company, we offer services as creating your book trailer in more of a cinematic way. Um, So all the pieces you can think about that come with publishing a book, period. And especially if you're trying to be a self-published author, we offer those as well, even if you're not going to allow us to publish your book. And I want to mention too, we do offer services such as our tech team creating your website, because a lot of authors do not have websites. Mm -hmm. We also work with small businesses as far as that's concerned as well. Um, Copywriting, things of that nature. Um, And starting in 2024, uh, one of the things I just felt like I needed to do um, to help authors in particular, we will have a year-long program that's absolutely free that helps you to write your book in 2024 because mm-hmm. nothing hurts me more than an author who has a book vision but just never execute. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and you're going to write the book and this is going to be your year. And then the year passes and the next year is going to be your mm-hmm. year. And the year passes. Or you'd be like me when I first started and I had all these book ideas and little pieces of the book written, but I never executed anything until over a decade later. I don't want to talk about that now, but eventually mm-hmm. I execute, but mm-hmm. I don't want you to wait that long. So mm-hmm. you can go to Fruition Publishing, find out more information about all of that. But we're really here to help your book vision come to life which is all that matters because people will not get the transformation that you know you can provide until they have that experience with you. So you have to have that book published. You have to have it done, but you need to have it done properly. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, for explaining all that. Um, And also, um, again, you're uh, very active in the IBPA community. So thank you for all the work you do. Um, So uh, I want to make sure that everyone... um, uh, learns about IBPA too. Um, so it's visit ibpa-online.org. Um, we uh, and then this podcast um, it drops the last Thursday of every month. Uh, you can download anywhere um, you get podcasts, but also um, it'll be on YouTube if you're watching the YouTube version. Uh, Alicia, it's always a pleasure. Um, I always enjoy chatting with you, and and thank you for sharing your experience, your journey. Um, I hope everybody learned some stuff. And I can do one selfless plug. I yeah. also say for those of us who are members, if you're not a member, you need to go ahead and join. Mm-hmm. But you need to meet us at our monthly roundtables. Um, because one thing about it, people feel like they're so isolated or you're the only one going through things or you have some of the challenges we spoke about today. That's an awesome time to be around other like-minded people and just have that expertise that is shared with you and be able to ask questions right there. So our membership um, roundtables, I feel like not everyone really utilizes those as much as they should. I try my best to be there every month facilitating in some capacity, but you really need to come to those as well and delve into everything IBP, IBPA offers so you can go ahead, level up your publishing business and journey. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, there every month. And we're actually in 2024 um, we're doing the independent publisher roundtable and a member uh, author publisher roundtable. So we're going to yeah. split them up into two separate ones. Um, and I agree. Uh, we always have different topics, how to succeed on Amazon, uh, how to you know get distribution, all that stuff. Um, and it, it it is really helpful because you're connecting with other people like this interview where they went through that journey too. And so you can learn from each other. So thank you yeah. for mentioning that. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And again, thank you, Alicia. And uh, we hope you have a wonderful day. Likewise. And thanks for having me. 